I think that there's absolutely no reason for me to drink uh, or take a pill because things are going so great. My wife had a relative over for dinner. He's a psychiatrist. He had just been passing through town. He spent a couple of weeks at the Esalon Institute uh, out in California communing with Fritz uh, Pearls, and he had all the answers. Uh, my wife told him how well I was doing, how our communications had improved. We had some money in the bank. The kids were better adjusted. And he said, now, you know, when he's really well, he ought to be able to have a cocktail before dinner, a glass of wine with dinner, and a brandy afterwards. Couldn't have agreed with him more. <laughs> Brilliant, man. <laughs> Ain't really a dumb SOB, but that's another story. <laughs> Started the next day. Uh, one week later, they had me back on the psychiatric. This time they had me in the locked ward, and they were about ready to throw away the key. They were talking about six months at some institute for living near Milwaukee, and that didn't sound like living to me. I was so nice to those people on that mental health unit, you know, smiling at them, telling them what a wonderful place, rather making the little yarn doggies and all that kind of thing. They were good and they were good. I felt awful. I couldn't talk about it. But uh, the doctor got me my job back again one more time. This time I had to sign a note at the hospital if I ever did it again. I'd resign my position. Back into AA now, things go well for six or nine months. In New York on a convention. Oh, boy, somehow this out of town uh, didn't count. You know, about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, the glasses start to tinkle, and I start to hear it. Uh, I call it the uh, meeting call of the wild ice cube. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we were at a banquet, and... Uh, <laughs> They were serving wine with dinner. My wife had gotten interested in continental cooking and a little glass of wine uh, with dinner. I'm going to become a connoisseur of fine wine. Single glass, no hangover, no craving. Out to a nice restaurant the next night, no hangover, no craving. Toddle on down to Scribner's Bookstore there on Fifth Avenue, buy the book on wine tasting and the wine encyclopedia. Right in my book on wine tasting, it says a true connoisseur of fine wine wouldn't think of becoming inebriated and ruining the wonderful flavor of a great wine. Well, it turns out that I was not a connoisseur. <laughs> I was a common sewer. <laughs> really, folks, uh, when you start to think that Thunderbird is a great wine, <laughs> you ought to be able to recognize you got a problem. Bring back the booze and with the pills. Uh, be all of the problems. Uh, come back. Start doing the same things again. Lock in my office, hiding the uh, booze. I uh, even had a bad experience out here in Cleveland a week that I don't remember. Uh, finally, there I was. Uh, the night of July 15th, uh, the second night I locked myself uh, in the office of 1970. Uh, about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, I had to go to the men's room. And the men's room's down the hall from my office. Got to the men's room, but on my way back, I missed my office but thought I was in it. I was in a patient's room, and I lied down in bed with him. <laughs> now, that, oh, that's carrying bedside manner too far. <laughs> There's nothing in the Hippocratic Oath that says, Thou shalt lie down beside them. Well, they came and got me the next day, and uh, they brought me home. I was suspended from my job. I lost my professorship. My wife wanted a divorce. My kids wouldn't talk to me. I had become the exact opposite of what I had set out in life to be. 
I had set out in life to be a credit to myself and my family and to honor my profession. I had discredited myself and my family. I had dishonored uh, my profession. I was immobilized by fear and guilt. I could not talk to anybody. Nobody wanted to talk to me. I didn't hear from anybody. My wife had to make arrangements to get me uh, into, the, into the hospital. I was in St. Mary's Hospital uh, for five weeks. Uh, and uh, I've been a grateful member of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, since that time. In the five days waiting to get into uh, admission, uh, I looked back over the last five years. Five years since I admitted that I was an alcoholic. My fifth hospitalization coming up. I had been dry half that period of time. I had been to AA for three and a half years. I had been in couples groups, sensitivity groups, uh, weekend marathons. I uh, had some good periods of sobriety. Periods when I said there's absolutely no reason for me to drink again. Things are going so well. Uh, but as long as I thought it was a psychosocial problem, uh, I was beaten. Eventually I saw that, you know, what they've been telling me, this allergy, this biochemical difference. I figured somehow my body is different. And once I get that drug or another drug in my body, it's going to take over eventually. Maybe not tonight, but it's going to take over. Uh, and this program is not 24 hours a day until you're feeling well or you're feeling badly or you're out of town or the tragedy in the family. It's 24 hours a day, but nonetheless 24 hours a day for the rest of our lives. And that's the first part of the first step of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. We admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, not that we were alcoholics. The second part is that our lives had become unmanageable, and I was one of these arrogant people who thought I could manage my life. I knew better than anybody else. And I had to start to learn how to ask for help and accept it. And that was a big step towards my spiritual awakening, because for whatever reason, it's probably my rebellious nature. Traditional gods and religions uh, don't work for me, and I had a difficult time with the spiritual part of this program. The second step came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I had no problem with the insanity part. It was a power greater than me, and I tried the treatment program, uh, and I tried it as a whole. Uh, that didn't seem to work. And I got some help from a marvelous Jesuit friend of mine. He said, Bud, God in every religion works through people. He said, why don't you just take a couple of people in your life and use them as a higher power to start with. I didn't even know that you could do that. But in reading the big book, you know, right there on page 12, and it's in italics, it says, choose your own conception of God. So I thought I'd try. Two people didn't seem like a power greater than me. I got up to uh, three, four, five, and I ran out of people who still loved and cared for me. But five did seem like a power greater than me. And in that third step, we made a decision to turn our will and our life over the care of God as we understood Him. Well, the thing that seemed to be bothering me most was my alcoholic will. I'd start there, and I'd turn that over to my higher power and uh, see what His will was for me. I'd say, okay, Lou, okay, Fritz, okay, Ruth, uh, can I have a drink? No, you can't have a drink. Uh, you're an alcoholic. Well, that's uh, my higher power's will for me. Can I take a pill? No, you can't take a pill. You're also a pillhead. Uh, should I take that professorship in Omaha right out of treatment? And now you stick around Minneapolis uh, and AA and aftercare there. And furthermore, your family doesn't want to move. Uh, should I chase the neighbor's wife? No, chase her daughter. Oh. <laughs> well, that's old Lucifer. That's the dark side. It's always there, uh, isn't it? And Bill Wilson has uh, stated, beware of going it alone spiritually. I've known some of these people who seem to have this remarkable relationship with God and lousy relationships uh, with people. Uh, and that's the marvelous thing about AA. It is a forum where I can discuss the spiritual and philosophical and emotional truths in my life in a place of complete acceptance like I have never found uh, before. The fourth step made a searching and fearless moral inventory ourselves. I guess that's the oldest philosophical advice in the world. Know thyself. As thou art not as you want to be, warts and all, 
ask us at all. And then in the fifth step, discuss it with God, ourselves, and another human being. Again, not in isolation with another human being, but keep us on the right track. Because by ourselves, uh, our grandiosity, our arrogance will take over uh, and we'll go wrong. Now, what I'd like to conclude with uh, today briefly are the last seven steps. I call those the spiritual and characterological uh, growth steps. And I want to spend a lot of time on the characterological growth steps during that brief period if I can. Uh, the eighth and ninth step where I made a list uh, of the people I'd hired and made amends to get over my guilt and shame. That was essential for me. It wasn't until I worked through that that I had any good feelings about myself. I continue to take a daily inventory and do daily meditations. Uh, but I spend so much of my time working on those uh, character defects uh, that are so recurrent. Last night, uh, in those short stories we heard, we heard so much about uh, how intelligent we are. When are we ever going to learn that it's character that makes the man uh, and not intelligence? And I didn't know anything about myself when I came uh, into AA. I think what I finally found out uh, was what they're trying to tell me is that I'm okay and you're okay, and I guess we're okay too. Uh, together, but I'm okay and you're okay, but our behavior is crap. But we can take what we got. There's nothing the matter with my character or my personality. Uh, but I've been using my basic structure for self-destructive rather than growth purposes. Uh, but to change, I had to kind of get to know myself. Uh, anyway, and I found out something. I really went, I found out I was compulsive. Isn't that amazing? Uh, <laughs> some of you may be that way. I'm talking about me, uh, not you. Well, I get threatened, and I'm a very scared person, and I get threatened easily. I'm literally compelled to act. Now, compulsion can add a lot of strength to character. Hardworking, persistent, punctual, those sorts of things. But if you're kind of deep down anxious, it can lead to problems. Perfectionistic, over-inhibited, difficult time relaxing, difficult time making up our minds, exaggerated sense of duty. And oh boy, this deep down insecurity and low self-esteem bothered me most, I think, in social situations. So under compulsive, I'll just write sensitive uh, here. Uh, now, always concerned about how I'm coming off, uh, what people are thinking about me, how's my talk going over it. And again, it borders on paranoia. Uh, some of you are not sure about paranoia. Let me define it for you. Uh, imagine yourself at the Rose Bowl game on New Year's Day. 106,000 people in the stands, the football game is tied, the ball is on the one-yard line, and there's one second to play, and both teams go into a huddle. Now, if you think they're talking about you, that's paranoia. <laughs> now, if you're an alcoholic and you don't think they're talking about you, that's delusion. <laughs> that's the catch-22 of the stuff. <laughs> I got these dependency problems, too, that I have you know, never basically solved the dependency conflict of growing up. I used booze. I never uh, solved How do you become an independent individual in your own right uh, with uh, family and relatives and friends? I always could do it by myself. I didn't need uh, anybody else. Now, a compulsive person who's deep down uh, scared tends to be impulsive. Uh, early psychiatric friend of AA talked about this uh, low frustration tolerance, poor emotional control, called the alcoholic, his majesty the infant, wants what he wants and he wants it now. Boy, that's me. Impatient and intolerant, irresponsible. I'm kind of a rigid old crowd, and the emotional three-year-old in me gets a particular satisfaction out of that. I call that doing my own thing 
and I repeat a lot of this inappropriate behavior, this obsessive-compulsive business. Think of nothing else, an unrelenting pursuit of again. Repeat a lot of this inappropriate behavior. I got this exaggerated sense of ideals, uh, and my behavior is way down here. And you know what's in between is an awful lot of guilt. And I finally found out after a number of years why I, was, uh, I had all these guilt feelings. I was guilty. <laughs> Acting in contradistinction to my own values. They're not your values, they're my value system. Stupid, right? Uh, yeah, I'm sensitive, but, oh, you know, the frustrated poet. Uh, so thin-skinned. Uh, just the slightest little criticism or rejection, and I'm hurt. You know, and when I get hurt, I get angry, uh, but I'm too scared uh, to do anything. Well, maybe if I blow up, you won't like me, or I'll hurt you, and you can see it, and you say, oh, that, that body, no, 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 that's all right. <laughs> well, I'm going to get you. <laughs> and it may take me five years, or it may take me ten years, but I'm going to get you. <laughs> I know we talk about resentment, we talk about revenge. <laughs> 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 And I got these dependency problems, but I don't uh, accept the fact that any other people. I fight it. Uh, I fight it with booze, and it makes you very lonely, hostile, and self-centered. And that's a pretty bad day. Uh, over here, and it's not much different than any teenager. Uh, going, well, right, pain over here and pleasure over here. And I learned how to move from pain to pleasure, and it didn't take much. I was born four drinks and I was under par. Uh, and I knew just how much I had to get to uh, get there, and I always uh, did it. And I spent a lot of time uh, over pop. After a while, it took some more. I didn't move so far. I started to wake up with some of these uh, awful feelings of anxiety uh, and guilt. Uh, and, and I drank because of the awful things that I drank to remember, and I drank to forget, and I drank to oblivion, and I drank because that's the only thing I knew how to do uh, afterwards. And uh, that's the way. Uh, I came in uh, to AA uh, and I on uh, with my wife. Impatient, intolerant, inappropriate, guilty, addicted, hurt, angry, fearful, hostile, lonely, self-centered son of a bitch. Miserable uh, condition, deeply depressed, contemplating suicide. I never tried it. The big book calls it the jumping off place. On the one hand, you can see that booze is killing you, showing everything about you that makes life worthwhile. And on the other hand, life without booze does not seem worthwhile. And that seems to be a basic conflict uh, in the alcoholic's uh, life. Now, one of those things is false. And the thing that's false is that life without booze cannot be worthwhile. And thank God for the people who went before and founded AA and perpetuated Bill and Dr. Bob and uh, my sponsors and the members of my squad. I saw people that had this disease as bad or worse than I did, and they were living the kinds of life that I did. And I said, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Uh, and I emulated them. Now, it takes a couple of things. You know, it hurts to get well. Uh, this is a program uh, of growth. Uh, and Bill wrote that pain is the price of admission to our fellowship in every case. It means we've got to change. It means that sobriety has to come uh, first in our lives. It takes some time, too. It's a learning uh, process. I think I've seen people go instantly dry. I think I've seen instant spiritual awakening, but I've never seen instant sobriety. Uh, it's a learning process. Uh, it takes time. Now, I haven't changed all that much. I am still kind of compulsive, thin-skinned, got my dependency, conflict, and a number of other things. Uh, but I can make that work for me rather than make it work against me. I don't have to be so doggone uh, impulsive. I can get some discipline in my life. 
which just means living by the rules, or in our case, the twelve steps. Now, the Ten Commandments don't work for me, but the twelve steps uh, sure do. Uh, I can be alert to my surroundings, aware of the alternatives, make responsible choices, and sure, I'm still compulsive. I don't have to be so rigid about it. Get some flexibility in my life. Learn how to let go and let God. Or just let go and let anybody, but for God's sake, uh, let go. But there's nothing worse than a hard-working, hard-driving alcoholic, an alcoholic doctor sitting on their duck doing nothing. Woe is me. What do I do with all this time? Let's get active in our churches, active in our communities, active in AA, committed to sobriety, committed to a better way of life, committed to our fellow man. I believe that identity and meaning and spirituality come by commitment to a cause that's greater than us. And I offer you AA. I think too many of us have tried to do it uh, through medicine. And sure, I'm still uh, sensitive. But I don't have to be so unreal about my feelings. I can get in touch with my real feelings and values and attitudes. Become more perceptive of the real joys and sorrows in life. More understanding of myself and my fellow man. You know, more creative. And that takes guts. It takes courage to face the good days and face the bad days and create a new life in sobriety. And sure, I still got dependency problems. I don't have to fight them. I can accept them. I can accept the fact that I got a disease called chemical dependency. I can accept the fact that I need other people and now become interdependent, loving, and caring. And this is a pretty good place to be alert, aware, responsible, active, committed, perceptive, understanding, interdependent, loving, and caring. And this is health, and that's disease, and this is sobriety, and that's the insanity of alcoholism. Now, we wouldn't be full-functioning human beings if we didn't have all of these feelings and values and more. But more and more, as we get into this recovery program, we spend our life over in this positive uh, area of feelings and values. And when our fulfilling life comes back and our behavior matches our values, mental health returns and with it a spiritual way. And it just happens through this program. This program is designed for a spiritual awakening. The 12 steps says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. I didn't think it could happen to me as an agnostic, uh, but it did. The essence of the spiritual awakening for me was a loss of that awful, isolated, lonely, rejected, nobody understands me feeling. If alcoholism is anything, it's a lonely disease, and I don't have that feeling anymore. Now everything in this universe seems connected, and I seem part of it, and I belong here. And I belong to you, and you belong to me, and this self-transcendence was made possible only through AA, and the God of my understanding, and it's not been necessary for me to take a drink of alcohol or a mood-changing chemical since July 19th of 1970. There's an old Arab proverb that says that when you're out in the desert alone and you've stumbled and fallen, that's the place to search for gold. We alcoholics, we've been out there alone, we've stumbled and fallen, this is the place to search for gold. The goal is an AAA and IDAA, uh, and that the fellowship that goes along with it. It's not out in the cocktail parties, the liquor stores, the saloons, uh, or the drug stores. It's right here. And to get back to my medical model, you know, we've got this disease, and we've been diagnosed by experts. I hope that expert that's diagnosed you is yourself. And this recovery program works, and it works for everyone who gives it a chance. We've got the disease, the recovery program works, the choice is ours. We can literally choose through Alcoholics Anonymous to become what we truly are rather than what alcohol and the other drugs have made us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Powerful lead. You've told it like it is, and that's the important thing.